Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for all the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus as we think about our own lives, what we've done, what we failed to do, uh, the many ways in which we have tried your patience, how we've uh, <clears throat> done what we've known to be wrong, and what we, when we've failed to do what we knew was right. Father, we, uh, we are sinners, and we thank you for Christ Jesus, who lived the perfect and righteous life that we ought to have lived, died for our sins, and then rose gloriously on the third day. Father, we thank you that in time you cause us to believe in him. We thank you even for men like um, Michael Horton today who would proclaim the gospel, who would teach us to always uh, preach Christ and him crucified and to put him forth not only for salvation, but also for sanctification, um, teaching us not to rely on our own goodness for anything. Father, I pray that as we uh, talk this morning, that the men would be edified, that you would be glorified, that your son would be front and center. Father, we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, good leaders are always prepared. That makes me an absolute failure. Because I, honestly, I was telling Brian before he got here, I'm like, okay, where are we on this? Because I'm looking and I'm going, I think we did all these questions. And, you know, true confession, before we went to the Midwest, I was like, I, I thought I was set. I came back and I'm like, I've got Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday, and I'm like, I'm done. And then I come in here this morning and I'm like, so let's open our Bibles for a moment to Revelation. So the true confession is, I'm totally unprepared for this morning. Let's go to Revelation chapter 18. Because I thought it was interesting, you know, why is it good to go on vacation? Well, sometimes it's good to go on vacation because of the church that you go into. And... What's that? It comes really, really close. Okay. Revelation chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning, her being Babylon. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say... Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wool, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble. Cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine uh, flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and slaves, that is, human souls. 
The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gain wealth from her will stand far off, in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, <coughs> excuse me, for in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste, and all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all those, all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and they wept and mourned crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city, where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, and in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Okay? That was the text that we had when we went to this church. Keeping in mind... I mean, it's interesting to me, you know, when we talk about things like the Bible Belt, we think about the South, there are churches all over the place. Well, in the Midwest, there are kind of churches all over the place, too. Um, one of the denominations is that the Christian church is all over the place. The Christian church is not Christian. You know, like the Lutheran church is not Lutheran. Um, but we went to a church that is... Let me see if I can remember the denomination. It has reformed in it. It's a, like, it's not the Doug Wilson branch of things, but it's a, I'd have to, I'd have to look it up. And it's, and it's in a little town. When I say little, it's probably like 20,000, 25,000, which makes it a metropolis compared to, to Janet's hometown of 2000. So we drove the half hour, we went to this church, and uh, it was probably about half the size, well, less than half the size of BBC. The people were basically friendly enough and everything. So what was interesting is a couple things. One is it was high church, and by that I mean, um, have, have you been, or can you even imagine, I don't know, it's been a long time since we've done this, can you imagine an Old Testament reading that was reader response? You know what that is? And so so they had, um, he divided the church into two sections, and he had one side do one part and the other part, you know, but he was he would read, and then they would talk and talk and talk and talk. And so we were doing this whole thing, and, you know, I, I thought, oh, this is fine, you know, New Testament reading, Old Testament reading, kind of this confession of sin, all these things. And we sang songs. They had two different hymnals because they had one that was older and one that was a little bit newer. And one thing I thought was interesting because it's a very, like I said, pretty high church place, we sang, uh, what's the BBC anthem? Wonderful Grace of Jesus. And I thought, okay, this is very interesting. Um, at, a, at a marginally slower tempo, just a little bit slower so that you could actually breathe, which I found 
rather refreshing, actually. And you're just out of breath. But he gets to this sermon. And by the way, he basically announced, without saying he had 30 minutes, that he had 30 minutes. Because it was almost like a countdown clock and stuff. Now, when you read that passage, can you see any way in which you might preach the gospel? So, I mean, you know, I, I'm just going to, I want you guys to think like preachers for a minute. And if you're looking at a section of scripture and it closes with something that gives you an opportunity to preach the gospel, then what do you do? And I was like, you know, he, he mentioned Jesus a few times. There was a lot of talk of judgment and a lot of talk about relying on riches and wealth and, you know, all these kind of things because that's kind of what the passage is about. But I, I, I wish I brought his outline this morning, but it was like, you know, judgment, 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 because that's kind of how it breaks down, three parts, right? So that he had variations on this judgment. But I, you know, we left and because we do this a lot. I don't know. Do you guys do this with your wives? As you're going home, do you just go, so what do you think? You know, what was the message? Kind of break it down a little bit. You know, what were the strong points? What did Mike chump? Oh, no, no. Wait, wait. You, you know, what, in other words, what were the good points? What were the weak points? You know, um, that kind of thing. And so we're, we leave and. I was like, so what did you think? And she, you know, was kind of talking about the strong points. And I go, you know, did he preach the gospel? She's like, we came really close. <laughs> Maybe you will next week. And I just thought, and you know, it's funny to me because, um, I don't, I don't know exactly know how to put it this way, but it was like, you guys were all in high school. Most of you made it to high school. And, and you know, like when they do a, uh, like a high school game, when they're introducing all the players or having the players come out of the, you know, the cheerleaders might like line the, the, the little thing and they, and they run between the cheerleaders and, you know, like the captain will be at the end and they high five the captain or whatever, you know, however they do it. So somehow or another, we all get funneled and we're, we're not out in the lobby yet, but we all get funneled to where the pastor is standing. And so we walk by and so we shake hands with the pastor, right? Now you would think, I don't know, be, be, I would think that if you're in Podunk, Iowa, which is where we were, Actually, there is a Podunk, Iowa. We weren't in Podunk, Iowa. This town, though, let's see if you've ever heard of this. Oskaloosa. How many of you have been to Oskaloosa, Iowa? And, and that's what I mean. I mean, this is like, you know, middle of nowhere, although it is on the way to uh, Pella. And it actually is the Windows place. I mean, it's like because we went there. Did we go there Sunday afternoon? Um, yeah, I think we went there Sunday afternoon. We just kind of drove through it. Everything's, everything's shut down. This is just Iowa. Uh, yeah, everything's shut down, but, you know, you could see the massive Pella plant and all that. But anyway, so we funnel up here, and we say hi to the pastor. 
He doesn't say, oh, where are you guys from? He doesn't say, oh, how did you find us? None of that stuff. And I'm like, interesting. Uh, <laughs> they didn't, they didn't do anything to kind of like, there was no welcome packet. There was no like registration. There was like nothing. And I just thought, how old is the church? It's pretty old. You know, I'm, and it, and it was interesting to me because it had a good mix. You know, you look around too because you could wind up going to a church where everybody is, you know, where where Keith walks in and he goes, "Well, I'm feeling like a spring chicken today." Uh, <laughs> What's that? He's probably my age, so you know, old. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and and I just thought this is just a, a bizarre thing, but more than anything, I just thought. Would you mind giving us the gospel? You know, if it wouldn't be too much trouble. Um, I mean, I mean, after all the things that they did, you know, the confession of sin, you know, da da da, all the things that lead into like a high church and uh, all these kind of things, and and then to go to this passage and ultimately not um, preach the gospel, I just thought was very, very uh, peculiar. So, yeah, Brian. So, like a word makes a big deal about churches that assume the gospel. But did he assume the gospel, or was did he make any allusions to it, or just it was just completely missing? I, I would say it was missing. Like if you're looking for good news, like how do I get forgiven of my sins, or how can I be assured that I have eternity in heaven, I think it was missing. Um, And I and I think you're on to something. You know, it was like you people already know the gospel. Okay? Excuse me. But I mean just by virtue of the fact that you have visitors, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure we're not the only visitors they ever see. <clears throat> but you would think, okay, if I have anybody in the church who's new, I'm not gonna assume that we're all up to speed on this. I want to make sure and preach Christ and Him crucified. I mean, this might be <clears throat> the only time that these people hear the gospel. It might be uh, the last time that they hear the gospel. Or they might just be looking for a place that preaches the gospel. So don't I want to make sure that I give them the gospel? And, and I just thought, and he just ultimately whiffed. Um, well, let me... Yeah, go ahead, Jonathan. Yeah, you know, I thought about, <clears throat> I think I saw the program, I, I mean, I thought about dropping him an email, but what I wouldn't do is, hi, we were there, you didn't preach the gospel, how could you? Um, but I, And I know that's not what you're suggesting. You know, I, I do think that there's a, I mean, there's part of me that wants to just engage with him, but I don't think I'd probably get too far, because I think, you know, you just kind of get stuck in this rut. I, I did find it interesting, though. Um, along the same lines of what you're asking, they're actually on the local radio. And I go, hmm. Again, if you're going to be broadcasting, I mean, we listen to the Machen sermons. 
you know, and it was very Christ-centered, very, you know, not every week had exactly the gospel in it, but certainly a lot of um, references to sin, salvation, etc. And I'm just like, I, I just kind of wonder what sort of response you get from that, and I, I don't really know. You know, there are a lot of <clears throat> a lot of churches there, but they're like uh, Roman Catholic, or uh, um, I mean, there was a Christian denomination. There was an evangelical, you know, broadly evangelical. Because you know, when I say it's twenty thousand, you know, the other thing is, and you guys can imagine this, there are a ton of farms. You know, um, <laughs> a ton of farms. So, you know, as you're driving, I mean, you just pass all this this farmland and everything. So all those farms have people. So it's not like everybody just lives within the confines of the town or the city. They also live on the outskirts. So, yeah, there were a lot of churches, Catholic, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you, you know... Another thing that was interesting about the church is, however, um, however our church may look to other people, I mean, I don't look at it and go, this is a, a perfect representation of Worcester because we're not that, you know, multicultural. But I don't look at it and go, okay, this is a perfect reflection of West Boylston either. Um, because West Boylston is, basically as wide as you can get, right? So we're in a town uh, there in Oskaloosa that's very, very white, and the church was very, very white. I mean, everybody, you know, the uh, lots of, um, given the size of the church, which was probably, like I said, I, I think I said probably about 125 people there, it was uh, a lot of young, a lot of kids, too, a lot of young families, Um and they did children's church right there. I mean, not children's church. What do they call that when they bring all the kids up? Yeah, okay, children's sermon. So I was half like, uh, when you read children's sermon in the bulletin, what do you think? I mean, because I'm not really used to it. I just kind of thought, oh, man, I hope some 10-year-old isn't going to get up there and, like, give me a sermon, right? <laughs> <laughs> And, and instead he's got, he brings the, <clears throat> the kids up, and this kind of goes with the, with the book. He brings the kids up, he's got like 12 kids, let's say, 12, why did I pick that number, I don't know. It, probably about 10 or 12 kids, and they're all just sitting down, and he's talking to them, but he's talking to them, and we can all kind of hear, right? And what do you, what do you think he said to them? I mean, if you want to instruct kids on Christianity, I mean, keeping in mind that I'm sure they're probably infant baptizing church, how would you teach these kids? What would you tell them? La, la, la. <laughs> la, la, la. Okay. I mean, it's, it's like what do you ask for, what do you teach in a wana? It's similar, if you have the same mindset of an object lesson or something, or... Here's a passage, and you talk about it in a way that they can understand, but you're 
Okay, an object lesson, something to catch their attention and then followed up with with a clear gospel message. So I listened to him and he, he starts talking about, because, you know, here we've got these cities and stuff. He's kind of prefacing his, his message and he's talking about, you know, far off cities and lands and stuff like that. Mentions one of the missionaries that they support and he says, you know what those missionaries do? And, and the kids are like, tell people about Jesus? And he goes, that's right. And he goes, so you know what you should do? Tell people about Jesus? That's right. Okay, now. Y- you would think that, right? What, what do you, what do you think? What, you know, how do you tell them about that? And it was just like, okay, that's good. Yep, tell people about, I mean, I'm, I'm shortening everything up. It was probably like, but it was still only six or seven minutes. And ultimately the message was, tell people about Jesus. Which Jesus? Well, I, I'm like, so, you know, did he focus on any particular aspect about who Jesus is? No. So, okay. So tell people about Jesus. Is that law or gospel? It sounds like, it sounds like gospel. So it kind of sounds like gospel. Right? Doesn't it? But the reality was it was 100% law. Because if you don't say, you know, like, I, I mean, it would have been marvelous if you would have said, you know what, kids? You're sinners. You know what that means? And one of the kids, ooh, you know, yeah, that means we don't do what we're supposed to do. Great. Love it. But there was nothing like that, you know. Okay, what's another definition of sin? You know, somebody else might say, well, we do the things that we're not supposed to do. Great. Love it. You know, some kid might say, well, you know, my dad was talking about it last night. It means to miss the mark, to fall short of God's glory. Did you hear that? You know, I mean, there there was nothing like where I, instead it was just kind of like, it's like he woke up that morning and thought, okay, I got to do children's church. You know, I'll just have, we'll just talk about telling people about Jesus. Okay. All right. I mean, they're a confessional church, I think, um, but there was nothing really gospel centered about that. And the whole, the whole thing, I just thought, okay, they're on the verge. They could be a very much a Christ centered, gospel centered church, but they're on the verge of this, right? Because it's like, we have, we believe the gospel, but we don't really proclaim the gospel. I, and that's the problem. You've got to hand it off. You know, this is Second Timothy 2, two. You know, we have to hand it off to the next generation so that they can hand it off to the next generation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Which isn't a you know exact quote, but it's close enough. Because you have to entrust it to faithful men who will then entrust it to faithful men, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. 
and you visit other churches one time, you're going to get probably universal, according to this book. You know, that's what's happening to the American church today. And so, how does, how does a group like BBC impact the world to help move it so that the gospel is preached? I think that's a great question. I mean, you know, while you were saying that, well, no, I, I, because I did come up with an answer. I go, just imagine I'm going to go on vacation again to Iowa and I go, you know what? Let's go to that same church. So it's, well, yeah, so it's roughly the same thing. And I, as we're leaving, I just give the pastor. (laughs) And I say, sir, we would see Christ and he'd be like, (laughs) <laughs> I thought I. Um, that is a good question. What are some of the what are some of the ways that you think we can we can do that? I mean, anybody have any thoughts on that? How do we encourage other churches, in other words, to preach the gospel? Podcast. Okay. We need to ask tougher questions and not accept weak answers. And because when a weak answer is given, it 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 reveals the assumed Christ Jesus, and so we need to, we're supposed to correct, right, and train, disciple. Okay, so what I hear you saying, Brian, is that I should have used some restraints that I learned on the Sheriff's Department and torture him until he can, no, that's not what I mean. But like, ask some questions, catechism. That's why catechism is so good, because you're just asking questions. Who can fault you for asking questions? Okay, asking questions is good. I, and, you know, I mean, it, it might have been, been a little awkward in the reception line, only because there's people behind me. Well, time and place. Yeah, so, I mean, it wouldn't be wrong, and maybe I should just, you know, maybe, you know, Holy Spirit's convicting me through you guys to just write him a note, and, you know, I, I, the problem is I'm probably trying to think to myself, how can I write this note without lying? Thank you for your hospitality. Okay, there was no hospitality. It was a joy to meet so many people. Well, it was nice, you know, and I could tell people were... The funny thing, though, is when you see, like, little kids opening the door and being nice to you and stuff like that, that's good. It's good to be good. And it's nice to be nice. But that only gets me so far. And, you know, I, I, I just think it, it wouldn't have been wrong if maybe if I was a, a little lady who kind of had lost some of her reserve and I would just say at the, at the reception line, sir, we would see Christ. You know, just give us the gospel. Give us that two by four of the gospel right between the eyes. Um, because there was, there, there wasn't that, you know, there was no solution for sin, and that, and that's ultimately a problem. And uh, Jonathan, go ahead. Well, I mean, being um, giving the benefit of the doubt to some degree, you could go to the website and see if there was maybe it was an off week, you know, um, maybe you know, ninety-five percent of his sermons are better. And, and, and you know what, because there was a certain intensity to my search. That's a good point. You know, maybe this is an off week or whatever. So there was a certain intensity to my church or church search. 
Um, and you know, what do you, because, you know, what Jenna had said beforehand was, you know, we could go to, uh, her brother's church. Her brother's church is like an hour away because we were going to go see Gary anyway. Gary lost his wife here a couple of years ago. We like to go see Gary. The problem with going to see, or going to Gary's church was, Gary's church is, um, Super broadly evangelical, and I mean, like, lots of, lots of law, no gospel, and, you know, six ways to be a better husband or whatever, you know, every week, that kind of stuff. So I said, well, let's just see if we can actually go and worship the Lord somewhere. Um, so I started looking around and, you know, around, it, it's interesting because if you just, you know, one of the typical things you do to find a church, you go to the Master Seminary website. Well, there's nobody. This is kind of sad. There's not one graduate of the Master Seminary in Iowa. Nowhere. What's that? Yeah, yeah. But it, <laughs> but I mean it. It and it's interesting because I'm like I go. I said to my wife, I go. Well, you know, we're only three hours away from Omaha. Uh, <laughs> we could just go here, Pat. Uh, you know, that's a pretty good drive, though. I mean, if there was any reason to make that drive, I guess we, we maybe could have. But I, so, um, you look around, you know, you go to the different church finders, whether it's Nine Marks or, you know, whatever, um, founders. I mean, I, I did all the usual tricks and I'm like, okay. So then I just started looking for denominations and, you know, different things and, and, what 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 is the name of this denomination? I'll, I'll have to find. What's that? The thing you texted me was CRCNA. Okay, so there it is. Yeah, and so and I went and I looked at the confession of faith. It wasn't bad, you know, and and everything. And I actually did go to the website of the church, and I pulled up one of his sermons, and I just like went to the middle of it, and I listened for like ten minutes, and I go. It was biblical. I, I just thought, um, I, I hope he's not always this kind of monotone and you know not very exciting, but he was. Um, and I also thought it was interesting that when you walk in, they give you. Um, I, I should have brought this, you know, an at an outline of the sermon, the three points that he's going going to make, and I thought. Well, these aren't really bad points, but again, they were like warnings or, or, you know, statements of judgment or whatever. And I just thought, okay, I mean, judgment, judgment, judgment. And especially like um, you said, John, the last verse, you know, in the judgment there, you could definitely go into a gospel message. But I think, you know, if you think about it this way. Well, here, here was something he did. Let's think about a 30-minute message. Okay, what should be, what do you think, what are your goals besides giving the gospel? What are your goals if you only have 30 minutes and it's like a hard stop? Like, I don't know, like people are going to get up. I mean, have you ever been in a church like this where if you get to like, let's say, 1045 or whatever it is on Sunday morning, or what, what time do, oh, I guess it would be 1145. You know, 11:45, people are going to 
stand up and walk out. You ever been in a place like that? Where people are just like, yeah, okay, thanks, Pastor, we're out of here. I, well, I've seen that, okay? Um, where people are just like, yeah, you know, we like our church to end it. So let's say you have 30 minutes. And let's say, um, let's just assume that during that 30 minutes you want to give the gospel. What else do you want to do in that 30 minutes? What would be your goal if you're the pastor? Brian. Expose the text. Um, okay, expose it. Let's just hang, hang there for a minute. Why do you expose the text? Because that's your job. Okay, that's your job. And what do you ultimately want when you say expose the text? What do you mean? I mean, you get out of the way so that Christ is proclaimed. His word. Is okay, get out of the way so that Christ is proclaimed. Yes. You're preaching for a verdict. Preaching for a verdict. Okay. Let me ask you this. I'll, I'll ask the question. When you say exposing the text, when you say preaching Christ, you know, and all these other things, is my goal, is your goal, as you get up and you assume the pulpit, is your goal to think, okay, I've got Revelation 18 verses 9 to 20 this morning. Do you want people to leave there that morning thinking, I know something more about Revelation 18 verses 9 to 20? Okay, now, if you only have half an hour to do that, okay, and how many of you guys have preached before? Just any kind of sermon. Okay. You know that what? Half an hour is a long time? No. It's a very short time. Half an hour is a short period of time. I mean, I would be like, I've got half an hour. My, my intro better be like, yeah, one point message. So what does that, what does that, what would that make you think in your mind? What do you not want to do? Waste time. Waste time. Go off on tangents. Go off on tangents. What would be a tangent that would be dangerous if you've got half an hour to do? Personal experience, personal application. Personal experience, personal application. What else? News events, which there was a little bit of that. I mean, not like I would expect in some of the Bible studies I used to go to where it was like, okay, everybody, put down your Bible for a moment. Let's open the LA Times, and I'm not really exaggerating. Okay, so what would be another tangent that might suck up a lot of time? Application. Okay, application, yes. Four different views of this. Four different views. Those are deadly. But I had something else in mind, and that would be cross-references. Okay, Cross-references can really be helpful in some cases, but in other cases, you know, <clears throat> they can just be time sinks. And especially if you go to, and, and I, I really wish I brought my outline here this morning, but... Um, if you if you go to another place and you just kind of park there and it doesn't really help illuminate revelation 18 right you know maybe maybe for example you know you go well look at how it talks about ships let's go and look at jonah how jonah was on a ship and you're just like dude are you out of your mind what happened you know 
Um, and it, it wasn't that bad, but there were, there were some Old Testament references. He used like three or four. And some of them were rather lengthy. And, you know, in my mind, <laughs> this, this is, I mean, this is like a, a hazard. You know, I, I'll just give an illustration because I can do that and, you know, waste time with it. But, you know, <laughs> Jonathan probably knows, you know, more about mathematics and a, a number of things than most of us do because it's his livelihood. So let's say, you know, I'm up here talking about, you know, formulations and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, he's sitting there as a professional, right? Evaluating it and just going, yeah, I wouldn't say that. Mm, nah. You know, that's dopey, you know. So I'm not really going to call myself a professional preacher, but I am trained, whether that makes me a professional or not. So I sit there and I listen, and when he goes to these cross-references, in my mind, what's going on? I hear tick, 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 because I'm just like, dude, you're telling us you're running out of time, and you just read us 15 verses, and another, and now you're going to actually talk about those 15 verses. What are you doing? The clock's ticking. You're running out. We're not gonna, we're gonna leave here today. We're not gonna know anything about Revelation 18. Absolutely nothing. And guess what? We didn't. And you know, here's, here's something. If you're preaching, what's another thing that you wanna do? Big picture. You're preaching sequentially through the book of Revelation. Well, what's the book of Revelation about? Jesus Christ. Okay. It's a revelation of Jesus. And by the way, so I saw somebody put this, you know, the book of, uh, somebody put this on their uh, Facebook page. The book of Revelations is not in the canon. So, <laughs> and I thought, okay, we've got the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, it seems like your sermon should, should show us something about Christ, right? And I'm like, okay, as I'm leaving, I'm going, did I learn anything about Revelation 18? Maybe. Did I learn anything about Jesus? Absolutely not. Did I hear the gospel? Close, but no cigar. So, you know, I left there going... I could probably join this church. But if I did, I'd probably want to say, you know, can I preach next week? <laughs> you know, can, would you mind if I just gave this a shot here? <laughs> you know, um, bad. You know, if you're going to walk through a passage like this, make sure you do. And if there is some kind of time limit, and I don't, you know, I don't pretend to understand that. And, and maybe, and maybe that's it. But even so, you know, then what would I do? I would, I would say, well, um, boy, I, I, if I had to gear my sermon to, to, to make it half an hour because I didn't have an editor, because, you know, when, um, you know, sometimes sermons here on Sunday morning wind up being the no-co show. And so what has to happen? We have to edit stuff out. Have to edit stuff out. 
And I'm like, okay, that, that would be fine. You know, instead of like it's a five or six minute introduction, you know, then maybe it winds up being, when it gets edited, it's 30 seconds or it's 45 seconds or something. But you've got to explain the text. If you don't explain the text, then, you know, you're going to go from Revelation 18 to Revelation 19 and you're just going to keep going through the book. And at the end of the entire book of Revelation, people are going to go, There's a, there's a lot of judgment in that book. Just a weird book. Yeah. Yeah, because, because you're really not, you're really not explaining things as you go. And by the way, one of the, why do you suppose I would not really care to preach Revelation? The book of Revelation. It's incredibly hard. (laughs) Why is it incredibly hard? Well, it depends on your point of view, right? Keith's got it right. You have to go back to the foundations, meaning what? If you don't have almost an encyclopedic understanding of the Old Testament, you're almost sure to get Revelation wrong. So, I, I mean, I just find it, it's not like I would say, oh, I would never, ever, ever preach through Revelation because that would be sinful. But what I would say is Revelation would not be my first, second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth, you know, choice because I just look at it and go, it's going to be so much work. And I'm not, um, you know, I, I would not want to come in and say, you know, things like I used to hear, like, well, obviously the, uh, Grasshoppers are helicopters, you know, and and this is the UN or this is you know whatever. I mean, I'm just like I I I can't I can't do that. I mean, I think you know it's interesting because you know what the reformers would teach, like Luther, when he was teaching through Revelation, more of his concept of the book was. You know, basically, Roman Catholicism against against the truth, right? It's so that's all this spiritual warfare stuff and the oppression of the Catholic Church. And why do you suppose that would be? Because that's the world he's living in. And I'm like, so really, when you think about it, there isn't that much different difference between what he does and what some, you know, what some people do today. Um. But, you know, again, if you just think, what's my goal when I preach through passage? And you guys now, you know, anytime I'm preaching, you'll go, okay, did Steve help us understand this passage? You know, did he waste a lot of time with cross? Now, by the way, are cross references bad? Okay, what would be a good time to use a cross reference? Okay, when it supports what you're reading in the first place. And, you know, here's a good example. If you're teaching through the book of Colossians, what do you think a good cross-reference is? What's that? Psalms, maybe. You know, get, depending on the, uh, on the exact passage. I mean, when it talks about uh, maybe in uh, Colossians 1 where it's talking about Jesus. But overall, here's, 
here's my point. There are a lot of similarities between Colossians and what book? Not Romans. Not Philippians. If we keep going through the epistles, eventually we'll get there. The answer is, the answer is Ephesians. And why, how can I say that? Because it's true is the correct answer. Colossians 1 and 2 are about what? Supremacy of Jesus Christ. Okay, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And in fact, we could say they're about doctrine, the truths about God. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 are about doctrine. They're about Jesus Christ. They're about his uh, authority and his work. I mean, we, you know, we look at Ephesians 1. So... And then Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 are? Okay. And Colossians 3 and 4 are? And, and if we look at, you know, a lot of the things are very similar. You know, husbands and wives and children and, you know, just different. In chapters 3 and 4 and, you know, and sometimes they explain things that Ephesians leaves out or leaves kind of undefined or vice versa, right? They kind of expand. So, I mean, they're often helpful in developing one or the other. Okay? Those are, that's a good example of cross-references. Other examples are where it's virtually um, demanded by the text. In fact, I think what he did, and I know he went to Daniel in one part, and I wonder why he did that. I mean, he just... Yeah, but I yeah, but I think there was something else that um, he did, and and you know I'm not saying it was bad, but it was just it, again it was too long. When you know that you only have you know X amount of time, you've really got to sort of focus on it. Um, I, I don't even remember. Seems impossible for God has given you judgment. I, I, I don't. I don't remember exactly what what the thing was. I mean, you know, frankly, the I when you know, I, and I do apologize for canceling last week because boy, that would have been a disaster since I couldn't talk or anything else. But um, and and hadn't done my work. The When I when I came back, I was fine for a couple of days, and then I I started getting this little cough, and by Sunday evening, two weeks ago, I could tell I was sick, and you know it just kept getting worse to the point where I don't know if I some of you guys might have heard me, but I I I don't remember actually coughing to the point before I was talking to Pradeep and he had the same thing, where I was coughing to the point where I was going to vomit. And I'm like, I have never coughed like that before in my life. And I'm just like, this is awful. And I would wake up, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning and cough like that. And I'm going. And, uh, you know, for several nights before Saturday, and the reason I canceled, I, I basically, I was sleeping like maybe 15 minutes at a time, you know, just because of all the coughing and everything like that. So I just thought, I can't do this. And so last Saturday I was in urgent care. And, you know, why do you go to urgent care? It's pretty urgent. Okay. 
Because you urgently need care, but there's, there are more practical reasons for it. You don't want to go to the ER and... You can't get to your regular doctor. You know, they'll see you in a few days. But I, you know, I haven't even, I've yet to meet my regular doctor. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. My regular doctor retired. I see him at the gym. That guy's buff. Um, but if you go to your regular doctor, at least my doctor, because he was, even though I'm an 80 20 patient, what does that mean? No, it means I have 80-20 insurance. But he's used to seeing people who are part of the HMO. And so what do HMO doctors do? They try to get rid of you. You know, and they try to get rid of you with the least amount of cost to the company. So it's usually no prescription, no nothing, you know. And so when you go to urgent care, what what do they do? They try to give you as much as, you, you know, whatever you want. You know, if you're like... You, you want to sign up for some kind of, you know, new trial, uh, you know, drug or whatever. They're like, sure, you know, here you go. Um, they're, because basically you, you're paying them to give you something, right? I mean, that's why they exist. I mean, if you go to urgent care and they do nothing for you, are you going to go back? No. So, I mean, it's kind of like, when you go to the urgent care, it's almost like going to the supermarket. Here's what I would like. Okay, well, well, let's just stop there for a moment. Where, where did I talk about? Oh, it was last Sunday at Sunday school. Probably not too many were there. Um, my sister-in-law, back to vacation land, and we'll tie this back in in a minute. My sister-in-law is very devoutly uh, Roman Catholic. She had this book on her computer desk that talked about uh, the Eucharist. And so I flipped it open, and uh, the introduction said, you know, that roughly, uh, I thought this was interesting, it wasn't a Barna survey, but according to this author, two-thirds of practicing Roman Catholics don't believe that the Eucharist is physically the blood and body of Christ. Okay. Well, yeah, you say good, but what does that really say? It says that they're practicing Catholics, but they're practicing Catholics who don't understand Catholic doctrine. So here's my point. You say, you know, does your church preach the gospel? Well, that assumes one question. That she knows the gospel. Right? So it's almost like you want to say, and and this kind of, you know, you have to handle this a little bit delicately, you can't just say, I bet you don't even know what the gospel is. Because that's like, bam! Yeah. Well, could you share the gospel with me? Yeah. So, you, you know, it's almost like, well, you know what? Let's just role play for a second. How about you be the evangelist and I'll be the unbeliever? And, you know, I bet you're going to hear a lot about how Jesus makes her feel, you know, um, the security that she has, you know, how he's her best friend, you know, and he walks with me and he talks with me and uh, et cetera. But will she be able to articulate the gospel? And the answer is, I don't really know. Jonathan. Right. Right. Because, you know, now if you ask me what the gospel is, I'm going to say, 
Well, that's a good question, and then I'm going to talk about it, right? But I think for some people who've kind of pushed the gospel aside in their ministry, now, you know, because I think, let's say, let's presume that he knows the gospel, what you've really done is, you know, he's got a, uh, uh, an infected and bloody wound on his shoulder, you know, that he's been ignoring, and you just put your fingers right on it, and it's just like, <laughs> he's in pain, right? Um, but getting back to Keith's friend here, you know, how, how could you, like, present this in a way that doesn't basically back her in a corner or offend her, you know, and make her think, okay, Keith just thinks I'm a dummy or Keith thinks I'm an unbeliever or whatever. Brian? Again, just keep asking questions. <clears throat> why, why do people need the gospel? You know, what does the gospel solve? What did Jesus okay. actually accomplish? Why do people need the gospel? What did Jesus actually accomplish? <clears throat> Jonathan? Okay, and I think this is good because this gets back to one of the themes of the book, too. So you you kind of go through a, a message that you've heard at BBC. Then the woman says to you something like, well, we all know that. Why would the pastor do that on Sunday morning? Because you have to be reminded all the time. Because the gospel is for Christians. Okay, because the gospel is for Christians. It's an encouragement. It is an encouragement, right? All these things are true. I mean, you know, the the day, I mean, when we, we haven't been to a Red Sox game for a while, you know, I think with COVID and now the avid, uh, I, I have a hard time, true confessions, maybe I should turn the microphone off. I have a hard time with any company or organization that pushes really hard on BLM. I just do. You know, when we were up in Vermont, uh, we, you know, we were at the hometown of Ben and Jerry's. And I'm just like, that tour is not happening. Or, you know, I was thinking, well, maybe if we go back there next year, maybe we'll, I'll just make sure that everybody has a Blue Lives Matter shirt on. And we'll just, you know, <laughs> we love police officers or whatever. And then we'll go in there and they'll be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they won't like that either. Um, you know, I stand with Israel. Shame on you. Um, but when we would go to the Red Sox games, you guys have probably, how many have been ever been to a Red Sox game? Okay, when you walk, you know, toward what used to be Yawkey Way, I don't know, I don't know what they're going to call it now, you know. It turns out Yawkey uh, was a man of his time. So, as you as you walk along there, there's usually a guy giving out tracts and preaching the gospel, right? Now, you know, he may not articulate things or whatever, you know, but I, I would always find myself going, you know, thank you for that. I mean, I, I think the day that a Christian says, I am offended that you would preach the gospel. I don't even understand that. Because if we understand the gospel to be, you know, I, and I think uh, uh, what Jonathan said about this other pastor is instructive because, and he says, you know I know the gospel because of the way I live my life. What's he saying? You know, if you want to learn the gospel, watch me. 
Okay, bro. So what are you going to do? Everything perfect all the time. No, that's not what I mean. Okay, then what do you mean? I mean, gospel means what? Well, it means good news. So how would I know that you know the gospel the way, the way you live your life, right? What's that? I mean, look, if, if you know, because that, that's what it gets down to. If the gospel is be a good neighbor, you know, then State Farm is there. Um, it's, it's, this is just like th- that kind of thing where somebody's going to get offended because you're questioning their knowledge of the gospel or you're questioning their proclamation of the gospel. What they should be thinking is, I know I don't do great all the time. You know, I know I, when I get up here on Sunday morning, you know, I'm, I'm picking on this guy. But other people could go home and say, you know what, Steve spent way too much time doing this, doing that, and he could have done this instead or whatever. And you know what, even sometimes when I get home, I find myself going, I probably could have stressed this, or I could have done that, or, you know, even sometimes this is the worst, when you're preaching and you go, hmm, yeah, I wish I'd done that instead. I mean, like, you know, you can second-guess yourself while you're preaching. Um, that's, that's rather uncomfortable. But here's the point. I, I do think I comfort myself this way sometimes by thinking, yeah, I could have done that, but that would have taken the sermon in a whole different direction, which would have been good, but that's not what I was doing. And why do I say that? Because uh, I, I remember, and I probably told you guys this before, but not for a long time, so you bear with me. There were a few instances in which, because in seminary, when you're doing the preaching labs, they would tell you, okay, this week you're going to do an Old Testament narrative. This week you're going to take a, you know, a gospel passage. This week you're going to, you know, da da da. So sometimes, guess what? The two guys who are preaching have exactly the same text. Now, which in that case, which do you want to be, the first guy or the second guy? Right. First guy you give your own sermon. The second guy, you kind of either have to gloss over things that you are duplicated, or you feel like you got to poach something from his to enhance yours. I mean, it's. Well, you think that, but here's the interesting thing, because when we, when we, the, the truth is, we we say about. Scripture that it's a you know multifaceted uh, kind of diamond or jewel or whatever, and you look at it in different ways and you see different things, and that's the reality. When you come to preach a passage, you know, Chuck, you and I could have the same pr- passage, and we might emphasize different things, and we might both be correct. Okay, does that mean that there are multiple ways of interpreting scripture? No, that's not what it means. It means that when I come to a passage, even if I'm interpreting right, I might decide to emphasize a different part of it. Because, you know what, no matter what, whether it's in a class, whether it's in a church setting, whatever, I'm not John MacArthur. I can't go, I, Paul, and we're going to be doing this for the next six weeks. Right? I can't do that. Nor would I want to. Um, but, 
you know, my passage could be I, Paul, and I could take it off, which don't ever try to do that. I, Paul. Um, uh, I, I could take it off in this direction, and then Chuck could get up right after me and go in another direction, and you know what the end result will be? And a third person could do the same thing. And, and everybody in the congregation would be thinking, their initial thought would be, I can't believe Chuck's taking the same passage Steve took. And then they'd sit and listen and go, but Chuck's saying some things that Steve didn't say. And they're right, and they're good, and they don't contradict what Steve said. This is kind of amazing. And that's the nature of Scripture, right? Um, so, all that to say, you know, again, when we look at Revelation 18, verses 9 to 20, I could differ in my understanding of what, <coughs> excuse me, of what it means or how it should be applied or whatever. But if I had, you know, that text, I might take it a, w- a certain way. Somebody else might take it a different way and we might do different things with it. But ultimately, as long as we're faithfully exposing the text, saying what it means, applying it in the overall scheme, not just of the book, but of Scripture in general, keeping in mind that there is a cohesive kind of storyline going on. We could each sit there. I mean, it'd be, we we won't do this, but it'd be fun some Sunday morning to like have Mike do a sermon and then me do a sermon on the same passage. Just because we'd be like, people go, some people, you know, like let's say 89.9% of the congregation go, I like Mike's better. And then they can go, but Steve did say some things that Mike didn't say and kind of helped me understand the passage a little better and, you know, da-da-da-da. And that's all fine. I mean, like you said, the, the problem with being second is you find yourself second-guessing going, okay, Mike already said that, right? So do I repeat that? And the answer is yes. yes. Why? Because probably not everybody who was listening to Mike probably caught on to it, or you're going to frame it in a slightly different way, which is going to help people in a slightly different way. And the overall idea is to help people understand the the context the meaning of the of the passage and to and to better appreciate what the holy spirit's doing there well because be, be, because you know then you just say hmm, okay that's very interesting so maybe you could explain you know a, a couple of things to me you know and uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, and, and just kind of like, uh, because the reality is when Paul talks, you know, let's just, I, I think this is an apropos um, place to go here in Romans. You know, here, here was a guy who knew, you know, true or false, Paul knew a little bit about the scriptures, and about God. Um, And so when he says in chapter 11 of Romans, verse 33, O the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, 
How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. When he says that, you know, what is he thinking? Is he thinking, yeah, you know, the gospel, pretty rudimentary. Um, Christ died for my sins. He lived for my righteousness. He rose on the third day. Blah, 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 blah. Why is it unsearchable? Why is it inscrutable? Why are all the ways of God so amazing to Paul? Why can he say in 1 Timothy, I am the chief of all sinners? Why can he say things like that? Because as he gazes more on Christ, as he considers the gospel more and more, as more of his sin is laid bare to him, he becomes more amazed at the love of God. Right? He's not thinking, I'm done with doctrine. You know, enough of that. I think I know just about all this uh, Jesus thing that I need to know. Jonathan. Yes, and, and that's exactly right. You know, over time you will learn more, you'll understand more because you're being sanctified and you're being conformed to the image of Christ. And I think, you know, the day that somebody says, I'm bored with the gospel. I'm bored with the fact that Jesus redeemed my life from the pit. This is just old news to me. What would you say to somebody like that? Sam's person really doesn't have a grasp of how sinful and, and holy God is. How sinful they are and how holy God is. I, I, I mean, they've, they've somehow in their mind, that's exactly right, they've somehow in their mind narrowed this gap, you know, or, or maybe it's just kind of fixed even. You know, where they're like, yeah, that's pretty impressive what God did. Okay. Pretty impressive. I mean, I, I think, you know, like you said, I think it, kind of gets to the point where people think they're pretty good. And, you know, these days, I I think it's easy to make yourself good because, hey, I'm not a Palestinian terrorist. Yeah. I'm I'm not going in and shooting, you know, grandma, and I'm not decapitating babies, and I'm not doing all that stuff. Good for you. So I must be, you know, on the scale of morality, I must be doing all right. I'm better than most. And, and, and I think that's so, so true, you know, right? If, if, because it should soften our hearts, right? Instead of hardening our hearts. And if, if I could put it another way, when we understand rightly what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, how he's forgiven us of our sins, and this is one of the reasons why I just say, you know, every Christian especially married Christians, should memorize Ephesians 4.29 and Ephesians 4.32. Why? Because Ephesians 4.29 would tell us to only speak edifying words. And I mean, it would not be good for you to do this to your wife or for her to do it to you, but as soon as you said something, have her say, you know, 
Is that edifying? What's right would be for you to think to yourself, okay, what I'm about to say, is it edifying? Does it build up? Or does it tear down? Even if it's a correction or something else, am I saying this in the most edifying way I can? But Ephesians 4.32, where it talks about um, how God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. That's how we're to forgive others. And it's this idea that John's getting to, or John's saying, basically, when we understand how much we've been forgiven, it makes us more likely to hold grudges against other people. No, more likely to forgive. I mean, that's the point of the parable in Matthew 18. And this is why I think, you know, forgiveness, I, I, Mike and I talk about this, and it's like, you know, if you don't have anything else to preach on Sunday morning, if, you know, you get tapped at the last second, preach about forgiveness. Why? Because we're really bad at it. You know, no matter how good we think we are, it's probably like D minus, you know, that the best of us forgive like a D minus level. Um, and the worst of us are probably at F plus, but um, fail, but try. I, I always wanted to see that on a report card. F plus. <laughs> and I never really thought about that until uh, seminary because, you know, seminary, they're really big on the, the half grade. So you get, you know, if you get a 96 or above, it's a uh, it's an A. But if you get a 95, it's an A minus. And the, the minus counts, you know, as 3.7 towards your GPA instead of... So I'm just like, okay, well, if I'm going to fail a class, I'd at least like to get to the F-plus level so I get, you know, 0.3 added to my GPA. So, uh, <laughs> well done, Steve. You didn't fail. You got an F-plus. Yes. Um, so forgiveness. Yes, the gospel ought to drive us to that. You know, in fact, I would say... You know, we talk about, we joke about all these how-to things, how to be a better neighbor, how to do this. If I said we're going to have a five-part series on how to be a better forgiver, that would be pretty good. That would be pretty good. Why would that be pretty good? Isn't that just law? <laughs> What's that? Yeah, I mean, because it's going to point us towards that. It's going to say, you know what? In light of all I've been forgiven, in light of all I have done, the reality is, and, and, and I hope you men at some point have had this experience, where you just go, I don't know how God could forgive me. If I was God, I wouldn't forgive me. I'd go... All right, Steve, you're on double secret probation. We'll see how you do. Off with his head. Yeah, I mean, yeah, off with his head. But it, it and the and it goes back to Ephesians 40:32. Well, how does God forgive us? Well, according to Psalm uh, 103, how does He forgive us? He's, he forgives us. He removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. And you know, the the picture there is just amazing of God literally turning His back. On our sin, and and this is um, 
this is how we need to forgive others. And if we just think about that, how do I really forgive? Well, I kind of go, okay, we'll see how you do going forward. And, you know, to some extent, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you men in, in this one way. Why do you think it's easier for guys to forgive? Do you think it's easier for guys to forgive? Because generally speaking, I think we, we tend to, you know, be more like that, you know, thinking about one thing at a time. Holding on to something is exhausting as well. Holding on to things is exhausting. And it's like, you know, who has time for that because I need to, you know. Yeah. Um, so we can do things like show up on Saturday morning all excited about Christless Christianity and then realize, wait, we've already finished all the material. You know, that I had, uh, so. Because we're focused on one thing at a time. Just want to get through that vacation. Just want to do that. Whatever. Just want to get better. But I think this is, you know, getting back to the idea of how do we evangelize people who think they're saved? Right? I mean, this is ultimately kind of Keith's question. How do we present the gospel in such a way that uh, I don't necessarily or unnecessarily offend somebody who is saved, but I also entreat them to keep on believing, to keep on pressing, to keep on growing? And I think, you know, there's, there's the idea, you know, to tie it up with, again with what Jonathan said. Somebody says, well, I'm pretty much done with doctrine. I've... I've learned all the theology there is to know. That is just a mind-boggling claim. When you think about men like uh, uh, Goodwin and, and, I mean, Owen and all these men who wrote thousands and thousands and thousands of pages because they didn't have the Internet, because they, you know, um, didn't have access to all the things that we have. But was it because they were, they, they had learned everything or was it because they knew that they were in the process of learning and growing and they were sharing what they learned as they went? And, you know, I think, um, if I said to your brother-in-law, okay, well, I'll tell you what, why don't we meet next Saturday and why don't you just produce like between now and then maybe about a hundred pages of theology? Um, like, let's just say, you know, just pick your favorite doctrine, you know, and let's, let's just kind of see how that goes. Um, he would look at you like you had three heads. Because what they want is essentially just the kind of the gospel and, you know, yeah, I understand sin. No, you don't. Yes, I understand what Jesus did. No, you don't. I bet you can't even tell me who he is. I mean, there's a shocking, you know, uh, for example, here's a shocker. I went to church the other day. You know what they told me? They told me that Jesus is eternal, that there was never a time that he didn't exist. Can you believe that? And your friend would probably say, well, yes. Well, okay. And then they told me that as a second person of the Trinity, that he came down and took on human flesh. 
Okay, well, so just imagine that baby was simultaneously helpless and sustaining the universe. Have you ever thought about that? Oh, I think about it every day. No, you don't. Right? I mean, there's so much to, to just ponder and to think and to learn and to just go, it is ultimately just mind-blowing. And so when people say, um, you know, either I'm done with doctrine or uh, this is what my church does and it doesn't sound very gospel-oriented, well, why is that? It's because people have this idea that they can somehow contain the gospel, that they can, you know, kind of wrap their arms around it and understand it. And I'm like, I think if you look at the scripture, I think if you look at somebody like Paul, who spent three years being taught daily, you know, there's another mind-blowing thing. Well, what exactly was it that Paul was doing, you know, while Jesus was teaching him for three years? And then what, what was going on there? We'll never know, but you could only just think, why did it take so long? I'd, I'd say basically because we're stupid, we forget things, you know, and Paul's no different than us. But by the time that's done, you know, Paul should be saying to everybody, yeah, you know, this doctrine thing, not that big of a deal. I got it wired. This gospel thing, it's no big deal, but that's not what he does. Instead, over and over again, whether it's in Ephesians 1, whether it's in Romans 11, he explodes in praise to God. Why? Because he's consistently amazed by the grace of God to him in Christ Jesus. We need to pray. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for these men, for their patience with me. Father, I pray that you'd forgive me for not being ready this morning. I thank you for uh, these men and their contributions, for the questions, for the time that we've had. I pray that you'd bless each one and help them today to serve their wives, to do the things they've mapped out to do, and to prepare us for tomorrow uh, to worship you and to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen.